speechless today. Uh, I see only one of them at this point in time. But uh, uh, is Lisa there? Lisa, you want to stick your head in the door real quickly? There's Lisa and Matabo. <laughs> and then Danny. Sorry, I was uh, Danny Pierce. Come on up here with me. So the Pierces live in Indonesia, and we lived there with them a number of years ago. We were there at the same point in time. They've been in a, a few different countries since then. They have four children, and I was going to uh, honor Mary and Luke. They're in the children's ministry, and then they have they have Ruthie, and then they just adopted Matabo. So they're back in the middle of that uh, adoption process. It's been complicated. We want to pray for favor. They've uh, got Matabo from Lesotho. Lesotho, and she was not immediately given uh, citizenship in the United States, which is like a major curveball. Why did that happen? So a lot of complications in immigration in the United States right now. And uh, so we want to pray for breakthrough right there from Matabo and the pierces, all right? So Jesus, we ask for favor and clarity. You smooth out every part of that, that process for citizenship from Matabo, mm-hmm. and you would, uh, whatever complications are there, confusion in the conversation, you would, you would crush that in the name of Jesus, and you'd bring light and life and favor to them. Bring this together, Lord, to bring mm-hmm. peace and clarity and, and unity and cohesiveness in their family, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every way. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So um, how many of you know the Pierces? I'll see a few hands. They've been around, it's been a few years, but you've been back every once in a while. Uh, So they're involved in, I don't know if you're going to get a chance to introduce any of what what you've been doing over there. But uh, yeah, we're dealing (laughs) with time issues and he's got a message to share. So anyway. I'm not that exciting, it just... (laughs) Let's pray for this guy. They're, they are uh, a key part of our history and key leaders in this movement. So, Lord Jesus, do give your fresh life and word through Danny today. We thank you for the communication gifts that you've given him. Lord, let it, let it come in a way that, that penetrates our hearts and brings depth in the name and the blood of Jesus. Bless you. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, guys. It's, uh, it's, it's good to be here. It's always good to be here. Um, this really is home for us. Uh, as Mark said, we've been, we've been gone seven years or a little more than seven years, which, uh, which is why we don't know a lot of you. Uh, but I started coming here almost 16 years ago. It's a long time. And uh, um, I mean, the church is only, it's about to be 20 years old, right? And so I'll give you an idea of the percentage of, of the time here. And so uh, it's so good to be here. I love... Boston. I just love being in the city. Um, I'm looking at Michael here, smiling at me. Yesterday, he asked me, or perhaps accused me, <laughs> of praying for colder weather before I came. <laughs> and I responded. I said, look, man, I just pray the same way that our Lord taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, it's 54 degrees. <laughs> so who are you, oh man, to question God? That's what I, 
So, uh, I mean, there's nothing that beats New England in the fall. And so it's like 95 degrees where I live on the other side of the world. So it's good. I'm happy. Um, <clears throat> yes, thank you so much. Uh, as Mark said, we, we just adopted uh, Matabo. Um, uh, we, almost three, three months ago is when we, uh, she joined our family in Lesotho. And uh, <clears throat> I know a number of you have uh, been involved in, in uh, adoption and foster care and things. And there's a whole host of issues that come with this, and you get so excited about the day you're going to meet this little girl that you've been matched with, and it's very much like an arranged marriage. You have no idea this is, you know, what this is going to go like. Um, <clears throat> and then suddenly you get her, and then you're like, okay, now the real work starts, right? And so just continue praying for us and pray for her. Uh, I mean, if you think about it from her perspective, she just turned two last month. Um, her entire life until three months ago was in an orphanage in Lesotho, uh, she, 70 other kids, uh, 15 in her house. She'd only known these four women who were their caregivers, and they worked on these rotations. And then suddenly, this big, hairy, white dude comes and takes her away. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> That's a big deal. And so now, obviously, from a long-term perspective, the best thing for her and for us is for her to be in our family. Uh, she needs a family. If, if, I won't go into all the details about Lesotho and all the difficulties, but... Uh, if she wasn't adopted, her life would be very, very, very difficult. And so uh, this is the best thing for her, and it's the best thing for us. God chose her for our family. And so, but that takes work. It takes, it takes a lot of effort on everybody's part. And so continue, please, continue praying for us. Um, and I'm really happy, by the way, to see the chairs this way. So most of you have not been here long enough to know that we used to have it facing this way. And then we went this way, which was clearly stunting the Holy Spirit's work. So we came back... <laughs> We came back to the original. And so this is like I walked in. I'm like having flashbacks to the old days. Sandra doing announcements. And Sandra and I, believe it or not, used to be a skit team. And we would get up here and do, especially when we had like a world mandate, we'd do stupid, funny things. And it was awesome. I, most of you who know me are like, really, Danny did skits. I am blessed with one gift and one gift only, and that's not laughing. And so I can get up here and do, make a fool of myself, and everyone else can laugh, and I'm just deadpan. So... Praise the Lord. Okay, nothing to do with my sermon. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, Mark gave me a call and uh, said, hey, can you preach? And I said, well, is this one of those like actual questions or do I have to say yes? And so I don't know which one we ended up on. But um, he asked me specifically to, to preach on repentance this morning. And, uh, and I think we'll see in a little bit how that fits into what the Lord is doing uh, as a whole. And so um, you can actually turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. Uh, so repentance, uh, and many of you have, have possibly heard this, especially if you grew up in the church. Uh, the word repentance, really, it, it's, it's Christianese, right? Are you guys familiar with that term, Christianese? It's Christian language, like no one outside of the church uses, right? I grew up in New England. The vast majority of my friends throughout my life were non-believers. I've never once heard one of them say the word repent, Unless they were making fun of Christians, right? Repent or you'll burn in hell, you know, that kind of thing. And so uh, it's Christianese. And, and so many, but many of you have heard that the word really just means to turn, right? It's you're heading in one direction, you turn and go the other way. Um, and that's true. That's what it is. I mean, the, in the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew prophets, when they're preaching, you know, Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord. It's that same word for repent, let us turn. We're heading in the wrong direction. Let's go back. Okay? And there's different types of repentance in the Bible. 
Uh, there's, you know, uh, corporate repentance where the people of God together say we have sinned. Not just an individual sin or this, 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 but we have sinned. We have perpetuated sin. Uh, in Psalm 50, the one right before, this is an example of that. Uh, today, we're just going to look at one, uh, one example of, of personal repentance, an individual repenting. Uh, and that's Psalm 51, uh, written by David. Um, and one of the things, I, uh, this is a side note, that I really appreciate, admire, if I can say that, about the Bible is... Um, it does not hide the flaws of the heroes of the Bible. Uh, I mean, outside of Jesus, uh, none of them come out smelling good, right? Uh, almost none of them. Uh, all of them. All of them have these, uh, these major issues. And you're like, man, I cannot believe that that guy can be so messed up and still used by the Lord. Now, I take, uh, I take a little comfort in that. Um, and David is no different. He really is one of the great heroes of the Bible. And yet, is also guilty of some of the worst sins. And so you'll see in the, in the little, um, uh, you probably have a slightly different font in your Bible at the beginning of Psalm 51. It gives you the background. A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. We're not going to recount the whole story, or at least I'll give you a quick summary. If you go back to uh, 2 Samuel, I believe it's chapters uh, 11 and 12, I think. I should have looked that up. Uh, there's a story of David... So he was the king of, of, uh, of Israel, living in Jerusalem, uh, and he decided that he was done going off to war. You know, back then, warrior kings was kind of the normal way. So he stays at home while his, his uh, generals and stuff, they go off to war. And one day, as he's hanging out on his roof of his palace, he sees a woman bathing. This woman's name was Bathsheba. He decides, I would like to have her. And so he has her come to his palace and uh, commits adultery with her. And one of the big problems is she is married to a man named Uriah, one of his generals. Uh, and so already we got adultery. She becomes pregnant. David, rather than fessing up then and saying, uh-oh, I messed up, tries to arrange it so that it looks like Uriah got his own wife pregnant. Uriah, being an honorable man, while his soldiers are off fighting at war, decides, I can't live in my own home. I need, I'm just going to sleep with my soldiers here in the city. Because he didn't like the idea that as a general he gets to enjoy uh, these pleasures while his men are risking their lives. So David, what he does is he has him killed on the front lines of battle. Sends him back out, they go into battle, and he tells his other generals, pull back and let Uriah be killed. So already David's uh, broken, what, probably four, I think, of the Ten Commandments? Okay. Uh, it's a, it really is a horrific story. But then, a man by the name of Nathan, a prophet, does what I think is, has to be one of, the most, uh, one of the bravest actions in all of the Bible. As he comes to David and he confronts him. Now, Nathan, kind of like Jesus, doesn't always come straight in. He kind of tells a little parable to make his point. And he tells this story about a man who has a little lamb, raises this thing, and becomes a sheep, you know, and, and loves this little sheep. But a wealthy man... He decides, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it's a guest who's coming. He wants to honor this guest. And so he takes the other man's sheep and slaughters it and serves it as a meal to his guest. And David is furious. That man should be killed. He's angry. And Nathan, you are the man, points in his face. That's gutsy. I mean, kings in these days, these are not elected officials. He's an autocrat. If he wants to wipe Nathan out, he can wipe him out. But the Lord was with Nathan. The Lord was with David. And David repented. And that's what this psalm is. This is David writing about his repentance. 
And so we're going to take a look at it as an example, as a model of, of uh, personal repentance. I realize already some of you are like, well, I haven't killed anybody. Uh, I haven't committed adultery. Although if you pay attention to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have. Uh, but, um, but nonetheless, uh, all of us have sinned. And so we're, gonna, we're gonna just going to dive in. We can't cover everything. It's a dense psalm, and Mark stole some of my time. And so... Um, <laughs> Uh, and so we're, we're going to uh, just pick out some things as we go through. All right? Are we ready? Psalm 51. Let's go. Uh, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Even before we go anywhere else, one of the things I love to do when I read the Psalms is I notice the contrasts, right, of people, in this case David and God. You can sit and mark them out in your Bible sometime. What does it say about who God is and what does it say about us? It's powerful, really. You just look at these, you know, God, mercy, great compassion, unfailing love, David, transgressions, iniquity, sin. And I know some people will point out, well, transgressions is different from sin, is different from iniquity. Whatever, we got all three of them. He's covering his bases. <laughs> everything, everything about me. Okay, And we, if we keep going on, we see this contrast even more clearly. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb, and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. See, David cannot and we cannot escape the fact that we are sinful, and God is not. Right? You see the contrast here. My sin is always before me. Have you ever tried to hide from your sin? Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to deny it or justify it? or get it, you know? I've done this, and, it, and like David in this case, it really only lasts so long. It's there. It's going to hit you right in the face at some point in time. And, so, uh, and yet, despite that, God... Contrast that. God is a just judge. When he says this is right and this is wrong, it is perfectly just. Unlike anyone else on this planet, it is completely just. David is sinful. God, but God desires and models faithfulness. God desires, it says here, uh, wisdom, right? Wisdom, and, and in the Bible, wisdom is just as much a moral category as it is an intellectual one. It's not just about understanding. It's about the way we live. And so David can't escape this. And you'll notice here that there's a focus on the character of God. The issue here isn't just that David violated some abstract law. God doesn't just make random laws, right? All of these things, the call to, to, to love your neighbor as yourself, the call to honor your marriage commitments, the call not to steal, to, you know, to, to, to love others, all this. Uh, these are extensions. They are rooted in the character of God. They're not just random laws. Right? So uh, we can play finish the sentence. I won't necessarily have to, but God says, be holy for what? I am holy. Right? We love because what? He first loved us. We could go on with this. Right? And so, and, and so David knows that. That's where this contrast comes from. Okay? And because forgiveness depends on God's character. It does not depend on us doing the right thing to make up for the sin. 
You see, I mean, show me. Where in here is David saying, look, I know I sinned, but I also did this. So are we cool? Can you let me off the hook? Nowhere. Nowhere does he do that. And, and please, again, find me someone in the Bible who, try, who does that and is successful. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's dependent on the character of God. Look, David doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, but Lord, I was having a bad day. Right? Notice he doesn't even blame Bathsheba. That hasn't stopped a couple thousand years of other people blaming her. But David doesn't. He owns it. I'm the one who did this. He doesn't compare no whataboutisms, right? I guarantee you David could have pointed out other kings in the area at his time who've done just as bad, if not worse things, right? Or who've done it multiple times. I've only done it once, Lord. The king of Tyre, he's done this 12 times or whatever. He probably could, but he doesn't. He doesn't compare. He just says, I am sinful. You are not. You are loving. You are merciful. You are compassionate forgive me. That's all we can do. You see, the proper, uh, the proper posture of repentance is humility. It's coming to God with nothing <laughs> and saying, will you take me in anyway? That's what repentance is. Um, and I can't help here just because there's a couple confusing parts. Can I put on my teacher hat for a moment? Push up my glasses. <laughs> um, it just, uh, because there's a couple confusing things in these verses, and I actually don't know if I'll clear them up. I'll let Mark handle it another day. Uh, but there's, um, you know, some tricky part about, that we're dealing here with a poem, right? That's what the Psalms are. They're poems, they're songs. And uh, a lot of times in, in church, I grew up in this, where you really want to have nice propositional thinking, just a very clear statement, indicative statement, for those of you grammar nerds who are, you know, God is this way. Poetry doesn't work that way, right? It uses a lot of imagery, a lot of it can use hyperbole and things. And sometimes it's obvious God is a shield. None of us are confused about, so, like, how does that work? Like, we just instinctively know that that's not what that means. It's a, it's a metaphor. And so I say that just to say there's a couple things in these verses, such as, you know, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. A lot of theologians will say there's this idea of, of uh, original sin, uh, the innate sinful nature of, of humanity which I firmly believe in. Uh, I think it's actually, you, know, you guys know what I mean by that? That people are innately sinful. We are bent towards uh, sin, away from God, naturally. Uh, to me, this is easily dem- demonstrable uh, from Scripture and just as easily demonstrable just from life. Look around you. Look around the world. Sinful. And if you, that doesn't convince you, what convinces me is look in your own heart. I know my heart. I know the places my heart will go if I am not dependent on the, on the love and the power of God. I'm a sinful person. What I am going to say, though, is I'm not, I don't want to push this verse in a poem to say that's exactly what he's talking about. What the big thing here is, deep down in my soul, I'm sinful. You desire faithfulness, but I'm not giving it to you. You desire wisdom, but I'm not giving it to you. Uh, another thing here is he just says, against you, you only have I sinned. That trips up a lot of people because he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the whole Bathsheba, Uriah thing? Fair question. Uh, again, again, we're dealing with poems. And, and later on in verse 14, uh, David says, deliver me uh, from the guilt of bloodshed. He is well aware that he's sinned against Uriah. He knows he's a murderer. That's the whole point. 
Uh, and so I think, though, again, this is, this is a, a little bit of hyper, uh, hyperbole, the language, just remembering that all people are valued because they are created in God's image. He didn't just kill a man. He killed someone who was a special creation of God. And so, uh, and, and people as image, we are, we are his image bearers. We are his representatives on this earth. Jesus, I think, actually has the same logic. Remember when he says, uh, you know, I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. Right? And when they say, well, no, no, no. When did that happen? I never saw you thirsty. And he said, ah, <laughs> but you have. Right? Do you guys remember this? I, I didn't look it up. Matthew 25? Um, God bless you. Uh, Matthew 25, right? Now, they didn't physically sin against Jesus in the sense that he literally walked in the room. They didn't give him a cup of water. But because they refused to honor the image of God in a person in need, ultimately they did sin against him. So David's really, I think he's just following that, that same logic here. But either way, the point here is clear. David knows the character of God. And the will of God is not that difficult to discern. Now, I say that, I know some of you are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I have a lot of difficulty, right? Does anybody feel that way? I get that, right? What should I major in? What, should I, what job should I take? What city should I live in? I get that. Uh, although I would say that sometimes I think it's just because we put too much pressure on ourselves. Another sermon for another day. Uh, but in this case, think about the context. At any point in this uh, situation, do you think David was confused about what he should do? I mean, adultery doesn't just happen. It was a choice. It was a willful choice. He went out of his way to make it happen. And he did it anyway. Right? Murder doesn't just happen. It's not like he just, you know, just, oh my gosh, you're right, I died. No, he planned it. He planned it and got other people involved on it. Okay? He knew what God wanted. And he went the opposite direction anyway. You can't plead ignorance. And so, like David... Uh, we can't really, most of the time, I don't think we can plead ignorance on our sin. I didn't know. I didn't know pornography was bad, my bad. Not true. Not true. We know it. We know what we're doing. I know what I'm doing. And so, <clears throat> well, if we find ourselves making excuses, if we find ourselves justifying our sin, we need to stop. We are not really repenting. There is no repentance with the word but. I know I was angry. I know I lashed out at my kids. But my baby woke me up three times last night, so I'm tired. You get it. No, that's not how it works, right? Do you understand? Uh, we, there's no repentance with the, with the word but. And until we can accept that we are asking for something we simply do not deserve, you do not have true repentance. You guys get that? Until you know that you don't actually deserve it, that this is dependent on, on just the compassion, the love of our Father, you, don't really, you, you can't really have true repentance. So the proper posture of repentance is humility. It starts with an understanding of who God is. And that humility combined with the love of God gives us the power to overcome sin. You get that? Our humility combined with the love of God gives us the power to overcome sin. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. We're going to fly, guys. You ready? David continues. So what do we do? Okay, so uh, how do we pray? What do we do in light of this? David keeps going. Cleanse me with hyssop. If I had a dollar for every time I prayed those words, right? 
How many of you have prayed that prayer? Cleanse me with hyssop, Lord. All right. I saw no hands. Uh, sorry. I, I get it. I think we should actually work more Old Testament language into our daily vocabulary. All right. Give me a wave offering if you agree. So, uh, hyssop, right. And so if, if you, if you uh, I don't know if you did your uh, morning devotionals in, in Leviticus recently, but... Um, it's just the plant that they use for ritual cleansing. But it actually, it, it, part of this all makes a point, right? Cleanse me with hyssop, I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. What he's really talking about is internal, external, make me completely clean. Okay? Make me completely clean. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. There's some more poetry, right? Didn't literally crush the bones. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He's just asking for a complete and total cleansing. But he doesn't stop there. <clears throat> and this is where I think we move on a little bit from just confessing in, in our sin and, and receiving forgiveness. He goes a step further. Because really what we're talking about here in this psalm is repentance with a long view. What about the future? And so um, we're not just asking for forgiveness, not just asking to be clean, uh, but we're asking to be empowered. All right, look at verse uh, 10 through 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Right, a steadfast spirit, this, this spirit, this, um, this fortitude that will uh, stand the test of time. A willing spirit to sustain me. Don't just help me to overcome this sin today, but make it sustainable for the rest of my life. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, which is one of the scariest prayers in the Bible. Uh, and I don't even think I want to try to go. I mean, in the sense, that just feel, the, feel, feel it, right? Uh, and remember that uh, in, in the Old Testament, kings were given the Holy Spirit so that they would be empowered to lead their people. And David watched Saul, who had received the Spirit. God gave it to him. And, reject, and Saul went and rebelled against God. And so God said, all right, I'll take it back. I'm going to give it to David. So David's, David has seen it happen. He's in his position because he's seen it happen. So he's coming to the Lord saying, please, I can't do this without your Holy Spirit. And how much more can we say that? See, here's the issue. I think all too often we are willing to settle for starting back at zero. Just forgive me, make me clean. We're good. But God's will for us is to empower us. Amen? His will for, is, for us is to empower us, to make us holy. He wants to give us power so that we can love him, so that we can love others. He wants to give us power to reflect his character in a world that desperately needs it. Right? We're going beyond just confession. We're now turning into, Lord, I need to be more like you. Right? I don't want to just go back to zero. I need power. If I'm going to continue fighting the sin tomorrow and next week and so on, I need you. You have to change my heart. And he keeps going. Sorry, we're just going to keep, we're flying. You guys doing okay? Everything that surrounds repentance, right? Confessing our sins, proclaiming the goodness of God, his forgiveness, uh, receiving that forgiveness, empowering to, being empowered to live, uh, live rightly, to reflect his character. Okay, all of that, is great, but it's not just intended for us. You guys get that? The end goal is not just for Danny to be better off. 
Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are, my, who are God my Savior, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. See, for those of us who experience true repentance, right, truly getting right with God, the proper response is to help others do the same. You notice here he says, uh, and sinners will turn back to you. By the way, it's the same word that repent, to turn. Uh, he's not saying, like, those are sinners and I'm not. His whole point has been I'm a horrible sinner. But do you see what he's doing here? It's I have experienced the love of God, the undeserved mercy of God. And I cannot experience that without telling others. Do you guys see that? This, this isn't hypocrisy. This is, this is uh, hard-earned wisdom. <laughs> hard-earned uh, experience of my sin, but also the greater love of God. And he keeps going in verse, uh, where are we? Uh, 16, 17, you do not delight in sacrifice. I, so I think this is actually the summary of what he would want to tell his people. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken uh, spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. See, this is the thing. And he lived in a day of, of a sacrificial system, right? You bring in animals, you, you kill them, you give a dove, all these different sort of things. Uh, it's very far removed from our world. <laughs> but actually, the spirit is still the same. Right? We live in a danger, uh, 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 the, with inherent danger of what I would call external righteousness. Right? So what David's saying is, look, if your heart is not humble before God, if it is not turned towards him, and you're going to come in and offer up sacrifices, he does not care. God is not impressed with your righteous actions if you are not fully given to him. And, and, and we can fall into that trap even without animal sacrifices, right? It's very easy to come in on Sunday morning. I can come in during worship and get your hands real high. You squint your eyes real tight to show everyone, yeah, I'm really worshiping. And God sees that your heart is as cold as ice. You have no love for anyone in the room. You have no real love for him. You're, you're, you're acting as if you can hide your sin. I mean, a little bit here. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to take the, the Lord's Supper. And it's like as if the drinking a little bit of grape juice is going to impress God. He's been sinning all week. She's been angry and, and hard towards me. But you know what? She downed that grape juice pretty good. Do you see? God's not impressed. And I, I pray for us that we will have the freedom of knowing that he is not impressed by our righteous actions. I'm not saying go out and sin. <laughs> Do you understand that, right? What I'm saying is, if we are people who have truly repented, thrown ourselves before God and said, Lord, you are loving, you are merciful, help me to turn and head back towards you. Then, all those external things we do, going to faith group, or life group, sorry, old term, worshiping on Sunday morning, tithing, sharing the gospel, helping people out, then those things are acts of worship. But that does not come before the repentance, do you see? And so, uh, I'm just going to skip the last couple of verses. So when I think about this, what does this have to do with where we are as a church? Um, I want to bring back what I've said a couple times already about uh, repentance is, is turning towards God. 
not just turning away from bad things, although that's true, uh, but it's turning towards God. Um, and, and again, I said that already in, in verse 13, so that sinners will turn back to you. Uh, see, here's the thing. We just had a, this Acts 13 weekend, I think is what we called it, uh, of a time where we um, were fasting, we're praying, we're asking God, what are you doing? What are you doing in our movement? What are you doing in our churches? Where are we going? Where are you leading us? And see, here's the thing. Uh, repentance will precede the move of God. It will precede the move of God. Uh, we see this in, in, um, in the New Testament, John the Baptist in Matthew 3. He shows up on the scene. And what's the, what's the summary of his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. God's about to do something. Turn towards him. Turn towards him. Acts, Paul does the same thing. He preaches in Acts 20. He says, I preach. Same thing, Jews and Greeks. Repentance, turning towards God. Jesus himself in Matthew 4, what is the first thing he preaches in his public ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. So here's the thing. We repent. (laughs) We humble ourselves before God because he wants to move. He wants to move in us. He wants to move through us. And so the common denominator here really is us being a people of humility, to do what David did and say, Lord, I have sinned, and, and not just like some little tiny thing, but I am, I'm holding things back from you. I have no excuses. I can't blame anyone. I can't pass the buck. I just need your forgiveness. God is not going to move in us or through us until we are a people who repent. And so I can say now, after almost 16 years of being in this, this church and this movement, we have never been content to stop at verse 12 in this psalm. Forgive me, cleanse me, empower me. We have always wanted to be a people who can move on and say, I want to be someone, we want to be a church that can be a turning point for people who are heading away from God and they don't even know it. See, what, not because we're special or because we're holy, but because we've experienced it. Because we know God's forgiveness. We know his love. See, this, the world, this city, needs a people. Needs a people who are willing to humble themselves before God and say, Lord, we need your love. We need your forgiveness. And they need a people, desperately need a people, who can stand up and wave their arms and say, guys, you're heading the wrong way. I know because I was too heading the wrong way. Come, come, come know the Lord. Because that's really what we're doing. We're not just turning from bad things, but we're turning to the Lord. And so we need to be a people who can stand before God and say, Lord, we desperately need you. I have nothing to bring. But you love me and you forgive me anyway. And you empower me to do everything you have called me to do. So make me that person. Because I want to be that person in this city. I want to be that person in my workplace and on my campus. That people know if you want to turn to God, if you want to truly repent, go to him. Go to her. And until we experience that repentance and experience that forgiveness and experience that power, his love, we're never going to be that people. Uh, 
And I just, as um, I'm thinking about this again as, as we're about to do the Lord's Supper. And if you guys want to come up, I don't know, Mark, you're going to administer this. Um, it's common before, uh, in churches before we do the Lord's Supper to, to have a moment of reflection. That's good. I'm a big fan. Uh, but again, I, I want to go back to those verses in, in 16 and 17. Uh, this can be a completely empty action. Pure uh, self-righteousness. If our hearts are not humble and turned before God. And I'm not, please don't hear me saying this, point my finger at you guys saying you're doing this. I'm saying this for me too. And it, it really hit me this morning, it says we were worshiping, maybe because I was sitting right in front of the thing. Uh, if my heart is hard towards him, I'm really wasting my time taking the Lord's Supper. And I, will, and I can do it. He is not going to be impressed. He's not going to be like, well, you're good. That's just not how it works. But the good news is that we know, we know for a fact that he loves us and that he forgives us and that he makes us a new people. So as uh, Mark leads this time, I just want us to, to uh, have that reminder that if we come in humility, his love, he will meet us with his love, and he will change us. Amen. So much, Danny. Amen. So I want to invite you to receive communion this way this morning. It's, it's going to be kind of a drifting into the service. You need to be aware, parents, uh, children, look at your watches and need to head out probably at least in five minutes but individually come forward and take the elements and you can can come and do that and sit down and just pray and say Lord would you release a new wave of repentance in my life and with that prayer anything that he brings up in your heart respond Open up to him. And so I'm what I'm hoping is it's it's just a, a little another wave of God's work in our lives that we're opening up during this time. So come and receive the elements, pray and worship, and as you probably I'll, I'll come back up a little bit later and close the time. Uh, but we're, we're gonna be a little bit flexible if you don't have children in uh, in closing the end of the service. All right. So, Lord, we just thank you for your work in our lives. And we ask you to, to do another level of cleansing in us, that we would grow strong in this, in your purity in us, so that we can bring this grace to others because of love. In Jesus' name. So pray, come, and take the elements.